Hey everybody, this is Bob Goodwin and welcome to another episode of Career Club Live. Uh, if you happen to be watching us on YouTube, uh, please feel free to like, subscribe and uh, add your comments. If you're listening to this as an audio podcast, please feel free to rate and review it. It really does help. And then wanted to uh, just a quick shout out to uh, today's broadcast is brought to you by our newest service called Next Placement, where we're bringing a more people-centric, empathetic approach to outplacement. So if you're an HR professional and you're faced with the task of having to transition colleagues from the company and are looking to providing career transition services, we'd really encourage you to take a look at Career Club and Next Placement. You can find more on this at career.club. I'm very excited about today's guest. He was recommended to me by a mutual friend. And as we got to know each other and I learned more about his body of work, uh, Mike Foley really is doing some incredible things. So he's got a, a wonderful background, which I'm going to read mostly here because it's quite extensive. But so Mike Foley is the founder and CEO of Clarity Central, a consulting firm specializing in communication skills. He's also a clinical assistant professor at Northwestern University's Kellogg School of Management. His ability to connect with an audience by sharing insights and humorous stories has been at the core of his success as a corporate trainer and public speaker. Prior to Clarity Central, Mike was uh, at in the business development role at General Electric. He holds a BS in engineering, an MA in human development, and an MBA. In 2014, he's recognized by the National Speakers Association as a certified speaking professional, the highest international recognition for professional speakers. Suffice it to say, Mike Foley is a communications expert, and that is what we're going to talk about today. So with that, Mike, welcome. Hey Bob, how you doing? I am doing fine. It's so glad to have so we're so glad to have you here. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Awesome. So where do we find you today? Uh, I'm back in Chicago. I've been traveling a lot, so just got back, and the weather is beautiful. Finally, summer's here, and uh, boy, it's uh, a long winter, but uh, it's uh, finally the we've got the good weather today. I was going to say Chicago tends to skip spring. It kind of goes from blizzards to blistering uh, without much of a break in between. <laughs> I noticed that. I noticed that. I've been wearing my my winter coat up until about a couple of weeks ago. Oh, my goodness. So um, as is our want, we like to do just a little bit of an icebreaker to help people get to know you as a, as a human being, not just a, a guru in all things communication. Um, so very quickly, where were you born and raised? Uh, I was actually born in California. Um, my folks are originally from the East Coast. So we were out in California for five years, first five years of my life. Then we moved back. Uh, to the East Coast. And then around high school, uh, freshman year in high school, we moved to the Chicago area and uh, been in the Midwest ever since. Awesome. Very cool. And then um, yeah. just a little bit about your family. Yeah, I come from a, a large Irish Catholic family. There were six of us and, uh, you know, everybody was telling stories all the time. And I, you know, it was a very intuitive way to learn to speak and get your messages across. And if you didn't speak up, you just didn't have a a place in that in my family of origin. So uh, everybody was always uh, trying to uh, get the limelight. And I think through the years, through osmosis, I just figured out how to tell stories and um, to connect with other people um, via communication skills. And it was years later that I started studying exactly what I kind of picked up intuitively. So I kind of come from a background of big storytellers. So. 
Well, th- this will be fun because I think, you know, people would talk about the gift of gab and somehow like it's just a gift. And yet what we're going to talk about is, no, there's some structure to this. So there's definitely things that we can learn yeah. to be better. We could do another bo- podcast, Bob, on Blarney. So that's a whole other. You know. <laughs> I-, I could do that one by myself. I'm full of that. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then um, real quickly, I know that you've got uh, a really interesting hobby and uh, pastime that you're getting ready to go embark on here very shortly. Do you mind sharing with folks what that is? Yeah. So, you know, growing, even by high school, growing up here in Chicago, um, my brother and I used to take our sunfish, uh, which is like, you know, a 10 foot, you know, it's basically a surfboard with a little cockpit. We used to go sailing on Lake Michigan. And I always had this thought, man, it would be so fun to cross an ocean someday. So, you know, fast forward 40 years later, um, I depart June 6th from Portland. So a couple of weeks, uh, we depart from Portland, Maine for the Azores and then the Azores to Lisbon. And I've got a, a crew of four and we're all set uh, set up. And so it's been uh, just a, a lifelong ambition of mine and uh, definitely needs some clear communication on board. So that does oh come goodness, in. Yes. So um, super quick. So Portland, Maine to ultimately Lisbon. Yeah. Portugal. Uh, actually, we'll stop in the Azores, which is part of Portugal. It's about two thirds of the way across the ocean, okay. so it uh, about two thousand miles. And then from the Azores to the uh, to Lisbon, it's about another nine hundred miles. Yikes! Okay, well, thank you for the geography lesson along the way. Yeah. And about how long is that going to take you? Uh, it's going to take us about two two and a half weeks for the first leg, and then just for one week for the second leg. Uh, and then do you like resupply or whatever in the Azores or can you make yeah, it all the way? Yeah. So yeah. I I kind of counted on fresh food for about the first week and then we'll be working on canned and food. And pot <laughs> for that so we'll be, uh, that's, we'll be doing that's, that's very cool. So yeah. to kind of jump into it. So you teach communication. I mean, it's your business. Clarity Central, yep. And then you also teach this as an MBA level course at Kellogg, correct? Correct. Correct. Uh, I start. I was an engineer um, for a number of years for GE uh, prior to um, getting involved in communication skills. And I just started noticing uh, really, really smart people having a tough time articulating their ideas, my fellow engineers. And so I I just started teaching communications courses at GE. I just did a couple and they, they took off. And I thought, you know, I I really think there's a gap in the market for communication skills, real practical communication skills that people actually use. And so I started my own study on the the topic. And uh, it was just a few years later that I started my business, Clarity Central, and we've been going for 27 years now. And I didn't think I'd stay in communications. I just had no idea the depth of the need that was out there. So, I mean, it's, you know, every level can use it and every function in an organization. Well, let's just Uh, talk about that for half of a second, because on the one hand, it seems like just a super self-evident kind of thing, but it's not. And and why, in your view, and, and what all you've learned in these past 25 plus years, why are communication skills so important? Why should people spend time investing and getting better at it? You know, I would say two, two things there, Bob. One is over the years, I've defined professional power as uh, in two ways. It's an equation. It's your intelligence. It's your vision. It's your business acumen, all of these things. So you got that piece, you know, you all of that, all of that. 
The other half of it, though, is your ability to get people on board with you, whether it's through you know, persuasion, motivation, inspiration, closing deals, selling products, services, ideas, collaborating. And you got to have both. When it comes down to it, you know, the brilliant ideas without this ability to get people, investors on board with you, without getting employees on board, without, without getting clients on board with that, you know, you're just, your ideas aren't going to go anywhere. And so that was the, it's a very simple, but very powerful equation. And you got to have both. If you're going to really move the needle in, uh, in our culture, any culture for that matter, uh, you have to have both. And I think people focus on the first with, you know, not so much on the second. So we all know people that walk around with brilliant ideas, but they just can't quite make them a reality. So um, I, that's the gap in the market that I noticed. And I just thought, what you know, if I, reverse engineered from that equation, what would I do to help people really enhance their communication skills so they could get more people on board with them? So I call that your professional power. Um, and I think, you know, a couple examples, you know, one was Henry Ford, a brilliant manufacturing process, right? He's pumping these things out. They're all black. There's no options, you know, the Model T's, right? He, the other side of the equation for him is he literally had to go out and persuade the horse and buggy crowd that this is a better buggy. And that's what he had to do. JFK, back in the 1960, he went to Congress and with a pipe dream of sending a man to the moon in 10 years. All right. And he persuaded them to give him nine billion dollars, not million, billion in 1960. And he didn't see it, but they achieved that within the 10 years. So those are just a couple of examples of professional power. Um, and, you know, there's endless examples. I mean, I could go on all day with different. I'll, I'll give you one more. So, you know, Bill Gates, uh, he you know, obviously a brilliant guy, um, you know, say, you know, his approach sometimes is a bit challenging. And so his pitch to IBM back in the day was rejected. Uh, they rejected his ideas. They said, thanks, Bill, but you can go. And as a result of that rejection, he started Microsoft and he knew he would never have that other side of the equation. So what did he do? He hired his college roommate, Steve Ballmer, to be that sales face for Microsoft for all those years. So he knew he needed that balance. And so I think that's just um, something to consider. And uh, you know, I, I always... When I put that assertion out there, I always say that I'm on pretty solid ground because Warren Buffett says, invest in yourself. One easy way to be worth 50% more than you are in the marketplace is by investing in your communication skills. So I think, you know, we're on the, uh, you know, if, if Warren Buffett's saying it, I think we're in, on safe ground. You're probably on safe ground, yes. Yeah, it also reminds me of the book by Dan Pink, To Sell as Human, right? Mm -hmm. It's all about persuasion to your earlier point, because, you know, whether we're parents or we're fighting for budget or with uh, our significant other or whatever the relationship is, we're always persuading, you know, someone, yeah. you know, and, and again, not in a manipulative kind of a way, but you know, genuinely like, honey, I think this is best. You know, let me help you see why this might be in your best interest to do something. But in any event, yeah. one of the things that, you know, you've shown me, is that, that we're fighting for attention, that we've got a very distracted audience, yeah. if you will. It, could you talk a little bit about just sort of level set where people are in their ability to even receive 
communication these days? Yeah, I mean, so great question, Bob. So, I mean, it all comes down to connecting on that human level and, you know, backing up to what you just said about uh, it's not about manipulation. It is absolutely not about manipulation. I mean, people, you know, people see when they're being manipulated and it's just so that what I try to get across is we're doing the opposite of that. It is absolutely not about manipulation. So it's, it is about understanding, like really understanding your audience and then make it easy for them uh, in, in a lot of different ways. So the first thing I would say is when you, when I dove in and I was working with some of my teaching assistants to do some research on, um, you know, what's going on with people out there in the marketplace right now, it's, it's amazing. It's worse. People are so overwhelmed that they can barely hold a thought. They can barely listen for them. You know, I guess goldfish have an eight second attention span. The average person has like seven, you know, seven seconds. So, I mean, it's just, it's scary. We aspire um, to be goldfish. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, um, I mean, distractions. So b- before COVID, we were on screens, according to what is this, the Nielsen uh, study, we were on screens like 10 hours a day. Post-COVID, we're on screens 14 hours a day. And I ask people, what's the first thing you look at in the morning? And they're like, my screen. And I'm like, what's the last thing at night? And they're like, my screen. So we're distracted by that. Um all day long, you know, you've got 10,000 ideas coming at you every day. You turn on a website, you instantly have 15, 20 things popping at you. And by the end of the day, you know, I always ask my class, have you noticed how exhausted you are, even though you've just been sitting at a desk? And the reason for that is we have 10,000 ideas coming at us every single day. So, um, you know, I can go on with a bunch of statistics, but uh, basically, People are overwhelmed and they're burned out and they just can't take anymore. So the question that I always pose to you know my students is, if this is the reality, and we we all agree at some level because I show them all the statistics, mm-hmm. how are you going to get through to people in 2023 if that is the reality? Yes. And I'm open to new, new ideas, Bob, and I, that's why I enjoy talking to you about this because you know anything to help people connect, uh, given the amazing amount of information coming at people. How do you cut through that? And the one phrase that I I really love is communication is not what's said, it's what's heard. I'll say that again. Communication is not what's said, it's what's heard. So you can think of it like transmit and receive, and there's only communication if it goes through, if it it connects. If it doesn't connect, there's no... (laughs) communication. And I, I always have fun with this. I say, so if you don't know what I'm talking about, how many people here have had a discussion with a significant other where you walk away from the conversation thinking they heard something totally different from what I just said. And that's communication is not what said something else is being heard. So, so that then the question is, well, what's the answer? If, how do you connect? And I would say, I really stop my class in the tra- their tracks when I say this. I say, this class has nothing to do with you. This class has everything, and I mean everything to do with your audience. So if we work backward to, from what's most important for the audience, what does the audience really want from us? 
that is going to make all the difference in the world, especially given all the distractions and the stress that people are under. So I say my answer to it is make it easy for people. How can you make it so easy for people to take in your information? Uh, And if you can do that, you're a breath of fresh air. And if you don't do that, you're just like everyone else trying to vie for somebody's attention when they've got 10,000 ideas coming at them. You, you know, and you, you can you can correct me on this one. As you're talking, Mike, what kind of occurs to me is like if you just did a random survey and said, hey, wh- which organ of your body do you think is most important for communication? People would probably say the mouth, right? Because you're, you're talking. Mm-hmm. And as, you, as you're going through this, what it makes me, it's like, no, first it's your heart. Show me you actually care. The way that you can show me that you care is with your ears by listening. And then you're in a position to be able to connect with somebody because to your point, you're now empathetic to where they're coming from. There's some demonstration of actually care about what you need, not what I'm trying to to do. And then people, you know, the the, the field has been prepared to be sown. Spot on, Bob. Spot on. And I I would say – you know, I'm not a huge fan of a lot of listing courses that I've taken over the years because you, you don't remember them. And there's, you know, some gimmicks and techniques. What I found is being curious, being when you said care, yeah. curiosity is caring. If you think yes. about it, you're taking all of your energy to try to so say that again. Can you help me understand? And so what I say is, if you want to become a great listener, get very curious. Like, how does, hey, back up. Tell me about your business. Really? No kidding. And what else is going on? And by getting curious, you're naturally going to listen very deeply of what's going on. And then when you do go to speak, you've developed credibility with the person. They they get that you genuinely are trying to understand where their point of view. Uh, and then they're they're much more likely to listen. And then you can apply some of the things that we do go through in the course, like being organized and you know, proving your points with evidence and you weave those things in to make it easy for them uh, to get on board with you, then you're, you're hitting on all cylinders in my opinion. Well, and, and what I love about what you're saying, Mike, with the curiosity is there's an inherent authenticity, a genuineness to that. You can't fake that. You can't fake this stuff. And, and so for anybody that's looking for a quick fix on how to, to just like, how can I like pretend like I care? Yeah, I don't know what, what that is, but I've never encountered it, and I hope I never do. Bob, how many times, you know, we, we've both been in the sales field for years. So how many times have we been in situations where, you know, the, the person asks five discovery questions, right? And you know they're not even recording. Like, they might write something down, but you know they're going to give you the same pitch regardless of your responses. Yeah. And it's that inauthenticity that we pick right up on, and we're just like, we know we, you know, they lose all credibility, in my opinion, in that moment because they they're just making me what feel better that they ask me five discovery questions. They're not really genuinely curious about where I'm coming from. Right, <laughs> that is true. All right, so so we've established that people are distracted and busy and overwhelmed with a ton of information, guilty as charged. Then. You know, if we want to unlock that door, though, and, and have you know some chance of being heard, what we're saying is the first the first key is be genuinely curious, listen, ask questions, demonstrate you know that, that you've got a genuine interest in the other person. 
assuming that that your foundation has been laid, how can you start walking us through a model that isn't just, oh, he's glib, she's got a silver tongue, but there's actually a method behind the madness to yeah. being a communicator. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, just finishing up with the curiosity part, um, Bob, I would say the, you know, you can think of a few questions to get the conversation started, obviously, but if you're really curious and you're really listening, my next question is in your answer. And I pick up something that's interesting to me and I throw that back and it creates for a very natural conversation. And uh, does that does that make sense? No, 100 percent, because I think the the antithesis and you know, is pretty well acknowledged is most people are you know, sort of forming their next question while you're talking. So they're actually mm-hmm. not listening to what you're saying. They're formulating their next statement, whether it's a question or it- a sentence. Exactly. Exactly. So that's that. how you get the conversation rolling. And then I would say, you know, going back to uh, Socrates and Aristotle, uh, you know, the, and the philosophers, they all stated that, you know, we think in terms of threes. So it's major premise, minor premise, conclusion, logic 101, uh, syllogisms. It's before, during, after, beginning, middle, end, intro, body, conclusion. So the rule of three um, at a very fundamental level is a wonderful way to segment your ideas if um, you're trying to articulate your ideas in a very clear and concise way. You, I wouldn't recommend talking like that all the time, but when you really want to bring it, and I say, you know, answer simple questions with just blurt out your answers or just be authentic. But when you really want to bring it and you really want to organize yourself for a more complex answer, the rule of three is a very, very powerful tool. And, we, um, you know, it's everywhere in our culture from sports to entertainment to everyday life. You know, uh, you see it everywhere. Every single one of Steve Jobs presentations that books are written about, he uses the rule of three. So if you can organize yourself a little bit, that makes it easy for us as an audience to track with you. So I would say that's just one way of organizing. Another is opposites, compare, contrast. You already used it once, Bob. So you know, on one hand, on the other hand, that's that's a wonderful way to uh, segment ideas. Uh, so if you can organize it, people, once again, are mu- it, may, it just makes for people to, um, it's easier for them to track with you. So Mike, on the rule of three, we in Career Club, we have a weekly call with all of our members and uh, mm-hmm. this last week, we were talking about networking, and uh, we had a guest that came in, and she used the acronym AIR, A-I-R, to give mm-hmm. people just a very easy model on how to network, it, where it was advice, insight, recommendations. So when you're mm-hmm. networking with somebody and like, I need a framework to sort of structure this call, she was saying, mm-hmm. well, the idea is to either ask them for advice, for an insight, or a recommendation, and she put that mm-hmm. under the again the, the acronym of AIR, and everybody just like instantly gravitated to it and started repeating it back to her because she just organized it into three easy buckets yep. that people yep. instantly grasped. Yep, 
Absolutely. So, I mean, that's, it's, it's, there's so many benefits on so many levels. A, it's super easy for us to do. Um, B, it's super nice for the audience to be able to track with you when you segment ideas like that, because the last thing we want as an audience is a stream of consciousness where we just don't know where the beginning, middle or end is. So uh, those are just a couple of reasons as I'm using it right now, uh, (laughs) why it is helpful. It just makes it easy. I just keep coming back to make it easy for the audience. And the rule of three is definitely something like that. I would say one other thing with that, and that is it's a loose structure. It's not a, a rigid thing or it's not a, a you know, you know, 20 points. So within the structure, you can be, there's enough room for you to be improvisational, tell a story, go off on an example, talk about something, and then you come back to. And secondly, uh, so it's a very natural way of speaking and being organized and helping your audience track with you. Yeah, well, if I could be empathetic, you even confirmed some of this for me when we were speaking uh, previously. That's how I do these podcasts is Mm -hmm. in some basic chunky areas, but with freedom to move about. Because if it's overly scripted, I actually can't hear you because I'm too worried about following the script. Yep. Absolutely, Bob. And in fact, that's one of the biggest, I would say that is the biggest challenge I have with my students in the MBA program and with, you know, out there in the industry is people are so attached to perfectionism that they memorize their talks word for word. Um, they might get through the talk, but you're not going to have that human connection. So I always say, you know, there's neuroscience behind what we're talking about. And uh, so when, Bob, when you're saying you're memorized or you're reading, has anybody ever read a, had a presentation read to them? And it's just a nightmare. And so when you're doing that, the synapses in your brain are firing here and you can't connect with, you know, your audience very well. However, on the, on the other hand, when you're just over in this part of your brain, which the synapses are firing when you're just connecting with all sorts of people, but you're not necessarily, you know, you're just kind of winging it. So we don't like that either. If somebody's just winging it completely versus somebody being very rote. So what's the answer? The answer is a combination, which is what you're talking about, Bob, is a, a loose structure, but within the context of that structure, go off on tangents, be yourself, be authentic, just talk how you're, you're talking and, you know, like you normally talk, but do it within something that's easy for us to track. That's, that's the trick, you know, the middle, the middle path, so to speak. 